when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Dan Snow's History Hit. Today, in 1940, 80 years ago today, one of the most infamous aerial attacks of all time an attack on the British city of Coventry that took place on the night of the 14th of November through to the morning of the 15th of November 1940. Over 4,000 homes were destroyed. A third of the city's factories were completely destroyed or severely damaged. The other two-thirds suffered damage ranging from slight to bad. Nearly 600 people were killed and over 1,000 badly injured. This was an attack so severe, so dramatic, that it represented a ratcheting up of the bombing of civilian areas by combatants in the Second World War. And indeed, it became a verb to Coventry, meant to annihilate an enemy town or city. Joining me on the podcast to commemorate the 80th anniversary of this terrible event, I would like to have been in Coventry, but lockdown conditions here in the UK means I can't go. So joining me here on the podcast to do a virtual commemoration of this event is the historian and Coventry resident David McCrory. You'll hear that his father and mother were caught up in the bombing and he's got a comprehensive knowledge of what went on that night, both on the military side but also the impact for civilians living in and near Coventry itself. If you want to go and watch our documentary that we filmed a few months ago, just before lockdown began, uh, you can go to History Hit TV. We've got the firebombing of Coventry documentary. It's one of many documentaries on our new TV Station, History Hit TV, you use the code POD1, P-O-D-1, and you get a month for free, and your second month for just one pound, euro or dollar, and it, it was a great, it's a great honour to make films like this that other broadcasters just aren't making anymore, commemorating one of the saddest nights in British history. In the meantime, everyone, here's David McGrory. Enjoy. David, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Explain to me what Coventry was like in 1939-1940. Coventry was busy. It was an industrial city. Loads of factories building most of the cars. It was becoming one of the richer cities in the country, mainly through its industries and that. So you had this massive sort of industrial base in the city, mainly car factories and that, but lots of engineering works and places like that, like Alfred Herbert's and that, which, which was a world firm. It was a busy place, a lot of people. And there was a beautiful medieval city centre as well. Yeah, Coventry was said that it was one of the best um, preserved medieval cities in Europe, basically. And when you actually look at some of the older pictures, there were the streets, it was absolutely chock-a-block full of timbered houses and that. 
but they started to make inroads into that in from sort of 1930 onward where like in 1936 they knocked down butcher road which was an absolutely beautiful medieval street going down the hillside and they just knocked that down for easier access for the motor car into broadgate because they'd already got plans before the war to um rebuild they took on gibson back in the designer back in 1935-36 that he was looking to um with a council looking to change everything they had plans to knock half the city down basically even before the war yeah an important reminder that we can't blame the luftwaffe for the reshaping and, and ruination of britain's medieval architectural heritage but was it an important place for the war effort david oh yeah yeah without doubt because it was it's like i say because the actual um the amount of industry in the city. It's like when the war broke out, they're, they're instantly changing everything into war production. They're producing bombers. The first, the Whitley bomber, of course, was was built in country at Armstrong Whitworth, just outside Whitley and Baggington. That was the first major sort of workhorse of the RF from about 1936. And it was used in those sort of early periods of the war, but fell out of use by that time and was used later on, mainly for dropping uh, propaganda and parachutists and things like that down. But initially, of course, it was the RAF's main bomber. But of course, when that was superseded by Lancaster's, Manchester's and all sorts, and all those were built in country as well, and mosquitoes, there was thousands of mosquito bombers built by the standard and stuff for Spitfires, parts, you know, firing mechanisms, wheels built by the Dunlop for bombers, uh, for Spitfires, firing mechanisms for Spitfires, military vehicles, anything, everything you think of, basically. And tell me about this week, 80 years ago. Do we know why the Germans singled out Coventry for this gigantic assault? What happened effectively was Hitler was giving a speech at the Birkel, the birthplace of the Nazi party, effectively, in Munich. And uh, the RAF actually bombed them. And Hitler had to be bundled off into, I don't know, into a cellar or sort of bunker or something to get out of the way. And, uh, of course, he was really annoyed about this. We know this because of the Nuremberg war trials, from what Goring said. And Hitler wanted retribution, effectively. And he suggested that they hit London. This is what Hitler wanted to hit London back. But Goring said, there's no point in hitting London. You hit London and you, it gets lost. It's such a big city. It gets lost. And it Goering suggested that they hit Coventry because it's all within a, a tight centre. And you can in that way, you can actually literally burn it out, create a firestorm and burn the city out. So it was actually Goering's idea. And that came out of the, uh, the war trials, basically. That's what he actually said. So we do know why they did it. They didn't do it purely because of industry in that and it became a double whammy because they could hit industry but they, they only that night they, they hit 35 factories basically but the actual um, directions for the attack says Coventry that all of the city is a target although they did single out an odd factory all of the city by the German directive was the hit was the target. Tell me about that raid that began on the 14th of November 1940. It started off, of course, in, in France and that. It was at Vannes with the Pathfinder Squadron. That was sent over first. thing was, that, that day as well, Vannes and about 24 other German bases were bombed because they knew there was going to be an attack in England, but they didn't know exactly where it was. They thought it was going to be on London and it was go over as far as 
Gravesend and places. And they sent over, they started Operation Coldwater and hit at least 24 German bases and radar stations, including Vance, which is the Pathfinder Squadron's base. And uh, despite that, of course, it still went ahead. There's a sort of mix of numbers. Strangely, the Germans didn't seem to have um, keep a proper amount of numbers on this, which is usually they're pretty good at numbers. They keep their numbers. But on this, they don't. They never seem to be sure. And it's between 400, 400 and 500 bombers. But they sort of started the evening by sending off Kangaroo for 100, which was following what they call the Exgerat system, which is basically a single beam. They're following a single beam which was at the time directed over Coventry. Then you get two intercepting beams that are sent from different places that intercept the single beam. If you're following that beam, when you sort of start to leave it, of course it starts to break up. So you get in it again. So you always follow the beam. So when you reach the first cross beam, it actually starts off. It's telling you you're nearing the target. Then the second beam is crossed, and that is supposed to, they said at the time, that it's supposed to have started these crewed onboard computers to start the actual bombing raid on these pathfinders, they had these sort of crude computers and so on. And that actually started the bomb run. So they followed this system, this basically over country, and the first ones over country, the, for the, the pathfinders, there was about 13 of them, but they were actually carrying about 10,000 incendiaries and about 200 bombs. And also, of course, loads of flares as well. Like great bloody, like chandeliers, basically, dropping into the sky. People always remember these flares dropping like chandeliers. So the pathfinders are coming over the city. Just after seven o'clock, they start coming over the city. And uh, with that funny droning that German planes make, they have this sort of broken sound that they make. It's uh, in and out. Like that. And then, of course, the flares are dropped. And they're all, like I say, described like chandeliers in the sky. People say they're like huge chandeliers in the sky, basically. And amongst the, f- the flares are incendiaries start falling at the odd bombs. And this group is coming over for the first hour, basically, and starting to set the target. They're actually, they're laying the target. Start off your fires, basically. So when all the other ones are going to come over, which is soon after, which is literally... 20, within 20 minutes of the last Pathfinder coming over, the other groups of bombers came over. You had Dorniers and all sorts of stuff, Junkers. They all followed in, in waves. Literally about every 15 to 20 minutes, there'd be about 20 planes crossing in different directions. They were crisscrossing over the city, sort of lacing it with bombs and incendiaries. And, of course, that was the first time they used the uh, exploding incendiary as well during that raid which, of course, caught a lot of people out because people have been shown how to deal with normal incendiary bombs, which don't blow up in your face. People were told just to put a sandbag. Go with a sandbag and drop it on the incendiary. And afterwards, they realised that these things can flare up in your face. So they told you to go with a sandbag in front of your face and drop it on the bomb. But to be quite honest, you'd have a job doing that anyway because they were quite, they would send up phosphorus in the air all over the place. So you've had these sort of uh, first group comes over. They lay the target. Within probably three quarters of an hour, you've got over 300 incidents. The fire station is being sort of overwhelmed with calls and that. There's over 300 incidents going on. Then uh, within the hour, you've literally got it's one incident. Half the, you know, the city is on fire everywhere, effectively. The firemen get out and they get into the streets. They end up having to call in firemen from all over the areas 
districts. But the problem was the city has been blown to pieces and burning. That is leading more bombers because then the bombers that came over afterwards, they could literally cross the channel. And you could see, this is what they said, you could see the light crossing the channel. And all you had to do was follow that light and head to it. They could see their target effectively. But I say the firemen were getting out into the streets, bombs going everywhere. They're setting up hoses all over the place. It's Dante's Inferno, effectively. The Vicar of Holy Trinity Church described it as Dante's Inferno. Every time they managed to set up something, another bomb hits, the water supply goes, or their pipes get blown to pieces. And of course, they get killed as well. There's a lot of firemen killed as well. But um, it's like when the cathedral started, the cathedral. Basically, you had the fire watch there. They were there at 7 o'clock, including the vicar and that, the stonemason, Jock Forbes. What was happening was effectively these incendiaries would drop, always swishing down. Whoosh, they swish as they fall, and they drop, and they just punch a hole straight through the lead, the roof. So Michael's had, like, uh, the outer roof. Then you had an 18-inch gap between the inner roof. So what they would do, they would punch through the lead of the roof, fall inside, and roll down inside. So if you were trying to find an incendiary in the roof, you're looking for a hole with smoke coming out of it, effectively, and that incendiary is rolled down to the end, so it's not exactly where the hole is either. So they're busy ripping up the roof on one side, trying to control it. They've only got sand and what water they've actually stored up there. Some incendiaries have taken hold of the Girdler's Chapel, and, of course, they tried to deal with that as well afterwards, and it just got out of hand, and they couldn't deal with it there was too many coming over and the, the smoke was starting to pour up the staircase to the roof which was obviously showing that their exit was cut off so they had to sort of climb off down a set of ladders to get off the roof and uh, within a short time fire crew arrived and they said that the lead off the roof it was pouring off the roof like a river the lead basically they'd playing the hoses on it for a very short time and of course the water dies again no water so it had to be left to his fate, effectively. They couldn't do anything. They went in to save what they could, and that was the end of it. The whole building just went up in flames. They, they said there were 60, 70-foot-high flames, bronze flames, roaring up into the sky. And at a certain time, it sounded like there was an earthquake because what had happened back in the 1880s when they'd restored the roof, they put these massive um, iron bands across the church to brace it effectively and when the building was burning the roof was burning it was twisting these bands and it literally pulled the whole thing in with the actual main pillars so it just fell in and it's the people within the area said it sounded like it was an earthquake as the actual church collapsed in on itself yeah hi i'm matt lewis historian and host of a new chapter of the echoes of history podcast If you're an Assassin's Creed fan, and like me, want to be prepared for the launch of Assassin's Creed Shadows later this year, join us on Echoes of History as we head to feudal Japan to explore the real-life history that inspired the latest game from this legendary franchise. Learn about Yasuke, the African warrior who entered the trusted circle of Japan's most powerful warlord. Hear accounts of cultures colliding when Portuguese missionaries landed on Japanese shores and followed Japan's journey through years of division and bitter warfare to unification 
at the dawn of the modern era. Make sure you catch every episode by following Echoes of History, a Ubisoft podcast brought to you by History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. What about normal civilians? Were there bomb shelters in Coventry? So there was a programme in, in 1938 of uh, building bomb shelters around the city. Initially, probably about 40, 40, 50 bomb shelters, you know, small capacities up to about five, 600 capacity shelters. And they built them around the city. Some of the original shelters were a bit like trenches, really. And of course, later on, they realised that these weren't strong enough and lined them in concrete. People were literally moving from one shelter to another because, you know, the raid was going on and it was 11 hours constant bombing, effectively. And and sometimes it was getting dangerous. The, the bomb shelter on Greyfriars Green, that was about 300 capacity. They had a time when they'd got an unexploded bomb outside the entrance and they and it was flooded, starting to flood, and the boiler in there was in danger of exploding as well. It's quite unbelievable, really. You know, all the time outside, all they can hear and feel are these... Bombs coming down and the ground shaking and everything. It's been absolutely terrifying, really. But they, they got through it. Well, some did, of course. What about the RAF? Was there any way of breaking up these raids? The night fighters were out. Only a couple of them actually said they saw anything. One German said he had a night fighter on his tail over country and he had to almost go vertical to avoid it. But, of course, the problem was with night fighters up to that point, they hadn't fixed the radar properly. The radar on the night fighter is being shot out from the front of the plane, effectively. But it couldn't um, zero in on anything because it didn't have a triangle, which was later added. And the actual night fighters, effectively up until November the 19th, were propaganda because it was something to tell people that we were doing something. We got planes up there trying. But as the night fighter guys themselves said, when you're up there, You couldn't see these things. There could be a couple of hundred planes there, but you can't see them. And the first hit of a night fighter was on November the 19th over Birmingham. And the pilot said, my God, there is something up there. (laughs) Yeah. What happened effectively with them was they talk about getting to certain times of the night, of course, when they actually seem to run out of ammo. And some of them were. They literally run out of ammo. But other ones, they said, I always remember a chap told me that his dad, uh, picked up a couple of guys from one of these uh, anti-aircraft sites on the night and he asked him about how can we've stopped firing and he says uh, he couldn't effectively pick up the shells 
he says none of us have the strength to ram another shell into the gun effectively because you know they're just at it bang 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 like this and they were just too tired to lift the shells up but other sort of uh, crews just ran out of shells but uh, you had other silly things around the city memorial park there was a rocket launcher which were absolutely useless things they look good they look uh, quite impressive you know because a lot of sparks and stuff but absolutely useless for taking planes out there what was left in coventry what had been destroyed and what were the casualties the last Bombs were dropped at about 6.20 in the morning. There was a bunch of uh, about four or five 200-pounders came down. And that was the sort of end of it. Long say, just non-stop all night. And the people sort of came out. And this, the city centre was just devastated, effectively. All the main centre of the city. There was a chap called Smith, who was, who was a town clerk, who'd also written a history of the city. And he was a fire watcher. And he said that morning he left the council house amid all this devastation because it was quite it wasn't clear it was it was all smoke and there was dust in the air floating in the air gas plaster dust everything it was like a mist and it was it was drizzling as well by that time and he said amongst all this devastation I always remember this one he says I heard a starling singing which gave me hope for the future and he said that's quite a lovely little sort of thing Something that my dad went out the next day and wandered around the rooms. He ended up pulling an incendiary bomb from between two walls <laughs> and took it home with him. <laughs> In fact, my dad was blown up by a landmine that night. He was just going home and he actually popped into the Radford pub to have a half. He wasn't really a drinker, but he just had an half of Mackison or something. And he, and he popped in there when the raid started and they all went in the cellar. And he never used to really bother going into the shelters. So uh, after a while, he went back out and he, and he stood outside the, the pub watching all the bombers going over and the bombs going off and that. And then he suddenly saw over the church opposite, he suddenly saw this parachute coming down. And he thought a jerry had bowed out and he was just said he'd just seen about going after it. And he realised there was a big canister attached to it. And of course, it was a landmine, wasn't it? Parachute mine. It came down above the church and just blew. And, of course, those things just blow, and they blow down and outwards. They flatten things. Dad was blown off his feet, blown unconscious. The church was blown down to its first course of stones, effectively. When Dad came to, he actually went over to the church and pulling the rocks away because he knew there was people underneath. So he spent the actual night during all the bombing helping, well, dragging people out from underneath the church. There was about two dead, I think. He dragged them and they stopped a car. And between him and this other chap, they ferried him backwards and forwards to uh, this relief station during all the bombing, dodging around all the holes in the road and everything, basically. Yeah, so we had a busy night. <laughs> How is the bombing remembered today by the people of Coventry? It's always remembered because, it, to be quite honest, it's part of the cities. It's not just part of its history. It's part of what the city is now. Coventry is what it is now because of what happened that night. The city looks like what it is now because of what happened that night. Do you know what I mean? It changed the city. It was like it was almost as if it was the death of old Coventry in the beginning of, of a new version of Coventry. Did your dad ever forget that night? Dad was in 41 Commando. He saw a lot of uh, action. He was on Salerno. He was on Sword Beach and he was he even got um, machine gun by a Stuka bomber one time. He never really talked much about it, to be honest. I just... It's one of those things you sort of always think about. Though I did talk to him about it, I didn't talk enough about it. 
we should always talk more to our parents to find out these sort of details because they just go they disappear with them. Dad never even claimed his medals in the end because he says, well, I was only doing what had to be done effectively. So I don't see the point in medals. David, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. What is your book called? Oh, that one is Coventry's Blitz, that one is. I did one, Coventry at War, and there's Coventry Blitz as well, Coventry's Blitz. Anything you want about Coventry, people? Go to David McGrory. Thank you very much indeed for joining us this very special week. Great. Cheers, Dan. Hi, everybody. Just a quick message at the end of this podcast. I'm currently sheltering in a small windswept building on a piece of rock in the Bristol Channel called Landy. I'm here to make a podcast. I'm here enduring weather that frankly is apocalyptic because I want to get some great podcast material for you guys. In return, I've got a little tiny favour to ask. If you could go to wherever you get your podcasts, if you could give it a five-star rating, if you could share it, if you could give it a review, I really appreciate that. Then from the comfort of your own homes, you'll be doing me a massive favour. Then more people will listen to the podcast, we can do more and more ambitious things, and I can spend more of my time getting pummeled. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favor. Don't forget, you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe as a special gift. You can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code DANSNOW at checkout.